reading this week is from the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away, unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. You may be seated. Try to get one Michael to record the Bible for you so you can listen to it. Thank you for being here today. We're going to jump into the message in just a second and talk about that scripture that was just read. But before we do that, would you grab the card that was in your seat when you came in? That's somewhere around you right now. As we're starting a new year, you're going to hear us say that phrase a lot, starting a new year today. Um, We know that all of us come into the room and start the new year hoping that this year would be better than the last and hoping that, um, you know, in some way our life would would make a bigger difference in some way. And so this first Sunday of the year, we wanted to give you an opportunity to get involved serving here at the church. Some of you do, but if I'm just being honest with you, since the quarantine, over the really the last 24 months, our volunteer numbers have dropped significantly. Obviously, as attendance has dropped, uh, it goes hand in hand statistically. But uh, a lot of you have joined our church during that time. Hope City's become home for you. And you are attending, but you're not serving. And, And we believe, yes, we need you, but we believe you need to do it more than we need you to do it because nothing will make church feel like church home, like being a part of of making it happen. And so on this card are four areas. We just chose four where we could use your help that you could fill out your name, information, check any that you're interested in and put that in the offering box on your way out. And then someone will contact you, answer your questions, help you take the next steps uh, for you. But We don't want you to just attend Hope City Church. We want you to help make Hope City Church Hope City Church for everyone else who shows up just like you did uh, at some point. So there's first impressions, which is all things parking lot, uh, people saying, hey, uh, kids check in, all of those things. There's kids uh, ministry. We always could use help in kids ministry from infant to elementary. You could pick what works best for you. We'd love to have you back there. Hey, here's here's a new one, the choir. You can be part of the choir. We've got a worship choir we're starting uh, this year, and we would prefer that you're able to sing a little bit, okay? You ain't gonna be awesome, but not tone deaf, okay? Um, and then hospitality, 
is, is the peop- that's the people who serve the volunteers to help make sure the volunteers have what they need. So those are just four areas. You're not committing to actually do anything yet. We will follow up and contact you, and then you can make the commitment after you get more information. But the step is just to fill out the card. Drop it in the offering box on your way out, and then someone will be uh, in touch with you. Okay? Easy enough. Don't lose that card. Okay? So, um, like I said, we're starting a new year. I I love, actually, that uh, Sunday fell on January the 2nd because it's still early. It's still fresh. Um, Somebody said, you know, New Year's resolutions don't start until January 3rd. I totally agree. Um, And so I love that that it started on January the 2nd. And I think with every new year, there is this built-in optimism, this hope that the year will be different than years past. And I think that's a good thing, by the way. I am, I am totally in for the new year hope, new year optimism. I think I say this every year, but like ignore the cynics who would tell you to not get your hopes up. Like that's ridiculous. Get your hopes up, you know, who would say it doesn't matter. You're going to fail. You're not going to stick with it. That's stupid. Don't listen to them. All right. Have some hope, have some faith and, and be optimistic. I love that. Um, and I would love nothing more than for you to get a fresh start and to stick with that and for this to be a phenomenal year. But here's what I also know, not being cynical, just trying to be as helpful as possible. And you know this too, that um, for the most part, this year will not be different from last year unless you do something different than you did last year. This year will not be different from last year unless you do something different than you did last year. And if we've learned anything over the last two years, we've learned that you can't control everything that happens to you. So I'm not saying that you're in control of everything that happens in your life, but for the things that are within your control, as the famous saying goes, I think it was Henry Ford, if you continue to do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. That's, that's just true. And it's true for every area of our life, but I really want to specifically focus on our spiritual life, how this is true in our, in our spiritual life and spiritual practice, that if in some tangible way, our spiritual lives, some measurable way, our spiritual lives are going to be different in 2022 than they've been in years past, it will require some tangible, measurable difference in our spiritual actions. Spiritual actions. And so for me as a human being, my own experiences, and then as a pastor listening to your human experiences it seems that we all stay pretty frustrated with our lack of inability to be the kind of person that we want to be. That's, that's what we talk about when we talk. That's, that's what you share with me when you share. And that's what I feel for myself is that there's, there's who I know that I could be or should be. There's who I am. There's who I want to be. And there is this tension uh, of living in, in that place. We're stuck between all of those. And that, that idea, that tension has really dominated my thoughts over the last year. Uh, I, I can be really maniacally obsessed with something. You can ask my wife. It's kind of annoying. And I have been obsessed with this question over the last year. How does someone change? Like really change? Not just change their actions or behaviors or lose some weight or manage their calendar better, but how does someone change at a character level? How is it that we go from being a person that, uh, that, that knows what we should do but doesn't want to do it to being a person who actually wants to do the right things or, do, or be a, a kind of person? 
Because there's really three levels of our humanity. There's what we know we should do, there's what we do, and then there's what we want to do. And most of us kind of figure out a way to get to level two, that we change the things that we do because life kind of teaches us and we adapt and, you know, we want friends, so we have to be a little bit nicer, or we want money, so we have to, you know, work on our spending or whatever it is. We, we, we get to level two and we change what we do, but very rarely do we ever get to level three and our desires actually change. Like we it's not just changing what we do, it's changing what we want to do. How do you do that? That's the question that has been dominating my mind, specifically when it comes to Christianity. How do Christians really change? Because if we're being honest, if I'm being honest with you, I would say that it doesn't happen enough. Matter of fact, I think it happens so rarely that when it does happen, we hold those people up as such examples of like, oh my gosh, it worked. Like they're a different person because they met Jesus. But that's supposed to be true for all of us. That meeting Jesus is not just supposed to change what we do. It's supposed to change what we want to do. Religion changes what we do. It's relationship with Jesus is supposed to change what we want to do. And so I have been thinking about this question and trying to answer this question and deep diving into all kinds of stuff to try to figure out the answer to that question. And I wish I had time to share all that with you today. I don't. But what I do want to do today is I want to just give you like just a little like sample, just a little, do they still have the sample sample in the mall? I haven't been over there in a while, but I just want to get, I just thought of the, I'm, I'm going to talk about fasting today and I'm thinking about food all morning. I had donuts in between services. It's crazy, but now I'm thinking of sample, sample chicken. But I, um, I want to just give you a little taste, uh, a little sample of, of, of some of this. And we're going to be talking about this idea a lot in 2022 this year, starting next week, by the way, we're starting a series called Shapes that I really want to encourage you to, to be a part of. But it's, it's going to kind of weave its way into, you know, all kinds of other stuff um, issue too. But how do we become a different person? Not just a person who acts differently, but how do we become a different person? Um, I want to talk about that uh, a little bit. And so to, to start that conversation, I want to tell you about some, uh, a story that I read about some research in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. If you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote... Tipping Point's probably his biggest book, but he's written a bunch of great books. Research, storyteller, sociologist kind of guy. But in Blink, he tells this story about researchers at Columbia University who wanted to understand what romantic thoughts and conclusions happen in a person's brain during the first few moments of a blind date. So they, want, they wanted to know what's happening in somebody's brain like the first 60 seconds of a blind date, which is interesting, I guess. And um, specifically, they wanted to know if what people say they want in a partner is actually the qualities that they're attracted to the first few seconds of an interaction. Does that make sense? So they wanted to know, if you ask somebody, what are you looking for in a spouse? They're going to give you an answer. But they want to know in the first 60 seconds of a, of a blind date, are the things that someone is attracted to the same answers as what they say they want in a spouse? Spoiler alert, it's not. Okay? So to find an answer, here's what they did. They created this um, speed date experiment and I'm not going to give you all the details because it's a little tedious, but in essence, they brought, they brought a dozen men and women in and they had them fill out this questionnaire and they gave them five, um, five qualities to rate, attractiveness, shared interest, sense of humor, sincerity, intelligence, and ambition. 
So these are the qualities. Maybe you want to do this in your head right now. I don't know. Uh, how important on a scale of 1 to 10 is attractiveness, shared interest, sense of humor, sincerity, intelligence, and ambition? They asked them this question, had them fill out the questionnaire on a scale of 1 to 10. So somebody would say how they look is a 7, shared interest is a 5, sense of humor is an 8, sincerity is an 8, you know, so on and so forth. So they, they did that. Then they set up a blind date experiment where they brought them in to this bar on the back of the college campus. And they did like kind of that classic speed date thing you see in movies where they set up a circle and the, and the ladies stayed at their table and the guys rotated around. And, and every, uh, every little bit they would, you know, they would rotate. After each interaction, they would then take the questionnaire again, immediately after the little, the little interaction on on the blind date. Then they had them fill out the questionnaire again after it was over that night. They had them fill out the questionnaire again a month later, and then they had them fill out the questionnaire again six months later. That was a lot. Are you with me? So they filled it out a bunch of times, rating these qualities one to 10. And what they wanted to know is what, what is what somebody says they want, what they're attracted to in a person. And it would not surprise you to know that when they compared what the speed daters say they want to what they actually are attracted to, the two things don't match. And here's what happened, is that after an interaction with somebody, what would happen is they would say that what they wanted the most was the thing that they just interacted with. So, for example, fictional Sarah is asked to describe her perfect man the morning after the speed dating experiment. And she describes John, who she met last night, even if John doesn't have the qualities she said she wanted before she met John. But if you ask her again a month later, she'll be back to her original list. Here's the point of me telling you all of that, is what they found out about fictional Sarah and all of these speed daters is that she wants what she likes. She does not like what she wants. Let me say that again. She, she wants what she likes. She does not like what she wants. In other words, she knows what she needs and what she should be attracted to. But if she's being honest, that's not what she's attracted to. She's attracted to what she wants. Now, why would I take the time to tell you about this? Well, I'm telling you because this speaks to the contradiction that we all feel in our life, that what we most want and what we want now are not the same thing. We know this is true. It's not shocking. We all want to lose a little bit of weight. But fat, fast, you know, fat food tastes good. And, and we want what we like. We don't like what we want, right? Or we want like a responsible, you know, God-fearing spouse. But we keep hooking up with people at a bar at two in the morning. Or we want to read our Bible more or we want to pray, but we're distracted by our cell phone or, you know, whatever whatever it is. And the reason that this research was so interesting and so important is because it explains why we are so passionate in our convictions, but passive in our commitments. Passionate in our convictions, but passive in our commitments. That what we aspire to and what we're attracted to are not the same thing, right? And this is a great starting point for why we feel stuck in a spiritual life that hasn't changed that much over the years. That what we should want And what we actually want are not the same thing. And we're filled with good spiritual intentions, but our daily routine is not filled with good spiritual practices. Let me give you three quotes about this. The first one's from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard says this. He says, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce it. That was Dallas Willard. Second quote is from Jesus. Jesus said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. 
We, we read that just a second ago. And then let me give you a third quote. The apostle Paul said, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anybody can relate to the apostle Paul. There's another power within me that's at war with our mind, with my mind. So Dallas Willard, Jesus, the apostle Paul, they're all saying the same thing. That we find ourselves at the beginning of another year determined to be more loving and joyful and peaceful and self-controlled. We want to feel closer to God. We want to feel farther from sin. But it will take something more than determination and good intentions. You want to know what it will take? Action. More than determination and good intentions, it will take action. And so our scripture for today that Michael read for us was the famous story of the night that Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read verses 36 through 46, but I want to highlight the events just before what we read. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus, who knows what's going to happen, says to the disciples, tonight, all of you will desert me. And Peter, being so bold as to question Jesus, says, no way. Literally, that's what Peter says. "Uh Uh-uh, no way. I'll never do that. I'll never desert you. I would die for you. Now, here's my question for you. Do you think Peter meant that? I do. I believe he believed it with all of his heart. I believe that in that moment, Peter's plan was to die with Jesus. If that's what it took, I'm all in. Let's go. Ride or die. Peter and Jesus, we're in. I believe he meant it with all of his heart. He was filled with good intentions. He was determined. They make it to the garden, the verses that we read. Jesus asked them to pray, and instead of praying, they fall asleep. And Jesus says the famous line, he says, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And three different times the disciples fall asleep. Then after what we read, uh, the soldiers arrive with Judas. Jesus is arrested. In verse 51, it says, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's ear, slashing off his ear, excuse me, Put away your sword, Jesus said. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Now, we know because of other accounts in the Gospels that the disciple who grabbed the sword and cut off the ear was Peter. We know this to be true. And and Jesus rebukes him and says, put it away. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because this story is, it, it teaches us and shows us that there are actions that we can do that will make us more capable of making the right decision in the heat of the moment. Watch what happened. Peter, determined and full of good intentions, says, I would never desert you and and, and run away. I would never. I'll die with you. Jesus says, pray with me. Peter sleeps. Then the moment comes where it requires a reaction from Peter. And instead of reacting like Jesus, Peter reacts like Peter, and he grabs a sword, and he wants to fight. We see two different reactions to what's happening. Jesus, who is at peace with God's will, not defensive, not overreacting, not feeling violent, not feeling rage. And we see Peter, the exact opposite. And this story is an example of how what we do determines how we act and how we react. And there are actions that we can take that make us more capable of doing the right thing in the moment. But there are also actions that we can neglect that make us less capable of doing the right thing in the moment. If we're being honest, it's a lot easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like a Christian. You know what I mean? 
we don't want to yell at our kids. And if we're planning our actions, we never plan to yell at our kids. But when we're talking about our reactions, well, that's a different thing. We don't want to give in to temptation, but now we're talking reactions. And, and this story shows us that, that in the moment, there will come a point when you can't fake who you are. Who you are comes out in the things that you do. And you can fake it for a little bit just through willpower and discipline. Science tells us that you have a certain amount of it every day, but then you use it and it's a commodity and it goes away, which is why you should do the hardest things early in the morning. But by 10 o'clock, you're, you know, getting a fat coffee at Starbucks, even though you're on a diet because you've already used up all your willpower, right? And so what Christianity is not, is Christianity is not a psychological way to boost your willpower. Christianity is an opportunity to change who you are, to change the kind of person that you are, to change the things that you want to do. And we can't say for sure how Peter would have reacted in the moment had he prayed instead of slept. But it's fair to assume he would have reacted differently. He would have reacted more like Jesus did. He would have been more at peace with God's will. If we want to act like Jesus did, we have to do what Jesus did. Let's don't read so much into the story that we miss the blatantly obvious. Peter slept. Jesus prayed. Jesus was at peace in the heat of the battle. Peter wanted to fight. And I can only speak for myself, but when I find myself overreacting or being overly aggressive or wanting to fight, it's usually because I haven't been praying. The less time I spend with Jesus and the more time I spend on technology, the less time I spend with Jesus, the more time I spend around angry people, it determines my actions, but more importantly, it determines my reactions. My public life, your public life, is a reflection of your private life. Your spontaneous reactions are a direct reflection of your intentional private disciplines. You can only act like a person that you are not for so long. If you want to have a certain type of life, you have to adopt a certain type of life style. I can't go buy a LeBron James jersey and become a player like LeBron James. If I want to be like LeBron James, which I missed the genetic lottery, but let's just say that I had his makeup, I would need to go back to his childhood and I would need to do the things that he did to be able to do the things that he does. He spends over a million dollars a year on a hyperbolic chamber in his house to heal his muscles after he plays. If I want to play in the NBA as long as LeBron James, I got to buy a hyperbolic chamber. Don't just put on the jersey. That to have a certain type of life requires a certain type of lifestyle. And if I want a life like Jesus, I have to have the lifestyle of Jesus. One of my resolutions is to quote C.S. Lewis less, but can I tell you (laughs) something that C.S. Lewis says about it? C.S. Lewis says that it's like someone acting like a gentleman who's really a jerk. He said that suppose there are two guys and they see this pretty girl and they want to go out on a date with her. And one of them's a gentleman and one of them's not, but they know that this girl wants a gentleman. 
And so the guy who's not a gentleman says, I will act like a gentleman. C.S. Lewis says he'll be able to fake it for a little while, but eventually who he is will come out. But the man who is a gentleman will never have to think, what would a gentleman do? Because he will do what gentlemen do. And C.S. Lewis says, for so many Christians, we think, what would a Christian do? Because we do not have the lifestyle of a Christian. And so if we, if we want to change what we want to do, we can't just act like a different person. We have to become a different person. If we want to be the kind of person who doesn't get defensive or fearful or overreact, we'll never be able to do that in the moment. Instead, we have to become the kind of person who isn't defensive or fearful or who doesn't overreact. And that requires character change. And character change happens in private. Happens in private. Now, let me show you one more story. I'll just give you the quick, the the, the cliff notes of it. But it's in Mark chapter 9. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they're coming down from the Mount Transfiguration. And they're met by a crowd of people. And there was a father and a son. The son was demon-possessed. And the father had brought the son to the other nine disciples who weren't on the mountain with Jesus. And the disciples were not able to help this boy. And the, and the dad comes to Jesus and says, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything about this. This is the famous story where Jesus says, if you believe, and the dad says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus heals the boy. And so then later in, in verse 28 of Mark chapter nine, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, This kind, now we don't know what he means by this kind. He could mean this kind of demon. He could mean this kind of miracle. He could mean this kind of person. We don't know, but he is referencing what just happened. Can be cast out only by prayer in the NLT, but then the other translations is by prayer and fasting. In other words, Jesus is saying, I could do this because of my prayer and fasting. You couldn't do it because of your lack of prayer and fasting. It's really plain, simple. Jesus is saying that there is something that I do that you don't do. So there are things that I do that you can't do. And if you want to be able to do the things that I do, you got to do the things that I do. And we live in a society and a culture that's all public. It's like we glamorize the public life. And so we idolize or envy or want what people have publicly, and who knows how many of them are telling the truth, probably less than we think. But let's just say the ones that are telling the truth. If there's someone that you really admire their public life, or you really admire the way they parent when you see them parenting, or you really admire the the way they manage their money when you know how they're managing it, or you really admire their physical appearance, or you really admire their prayer life, or you really, whatever it is, whatever it is that you admire that they do publicly, They are doing something privately that you don't know about that allows them to be that person publicly. And when we're talking about our spiritual life, this is so true. So true. The reason I've spent all this time telling you this is because I believe most Christians, and I'm going to say modern Christians because that's me, we're all modern Christians. We incorrectly assume that becoming a Christian will change us. And it won't. It saves us. Becoming a Christian saves you. But it doesn't necessarily change the kind of person you are. I want everybody to listen to what I'm saying. Please hear me. 
It is faith in Jesus that makes you a Christian based entirely on what Jesus did, not what you do. You cannot earn it. You cannot be good enough. Salvation is 100% in the act and the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, that is, that is how you are saved. But saving faith does not make you like Jesus. That requires a way of life. You could say it like this, grace saves you, but it doesn't make decisions for you. And so Jesus saves you, but becoming like Jesus requires choices. And like I said, we're going to be talking about this a lot throughout 2022. Um, but today, I, I want to... I wanted, just, I wanted to give you a little taste and, and really kind of set up this idea of, of how we're starting the year. We do this every year as a church. We take 21 days to emphasize, uh, have a spiritual emphasis for the beginning of the year, specifically when it comes uh, to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and fasting. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And uh, historically, it's a little bit debated, but there are 14 or 15 spiritual disciplines broken up in two categories, modeled in the Bible and by you know, church fathers and all this. There's 14 or 15 of them. Prayer and fasting is just two of those 14 or 15, okay? But it's a way that we start the year trying to focus and emphasize on, on these spiritual practices because, we, because of the kind of person that we want to be. And some of you are familiar with this and some of you are not. And, um, you know, I, I will say this, and I, I run the risk of sounding a little bit proud, um, So I want to say this not proud as best I can. One of the things I love about our church, I've been here a long time now. One of the things I love about our church is that we're more spiritually privately than we are publicly. And, um, you know, there there are times when people come into Hope City from other church backgrounds and they're disappointed by our lack of chutzpah and, uh, or what they wouldn't, they wouldn't call it chutzpah, but, um, (laughs) or that it's not something more. Um, and I respect that. That's why there's lots of great churches out there. We try to help them find those. Um, but judging someone's spirituality on Sunday morning is like judging their net worth by the car they drive. It's a terrible barometer. And one of the things I love about Hope City is that the leaders of this church um, pray and fast, and you know nothing about it. And, and that's the way it's kind of supposed to be because we want to be kind, certain kinds of people, and we want to be a certain kind of church. And so every year, uh, we give you the opportunity and kind of invite you into that uh, by just starting the year with this emphasis. Now, when I say fasting, I specific, specifically am talking about abstaining from food. This is historically what fasting means, is abstaining from food. And fasting is not um, exclusively Christian. Uh, diets have fasting. Other religions have fasting. But Christians fast, going all the way back to Moses, all the way through the Old Testament. Jesus, Apostle Paul, the disciples, the apostles, they they fasted. Church fathers fasted. And so we we fast as a a part of that church history. We do that. We don't do it to torture ourselves. We don't do it to harm ourselves. We don't do it to manipulate God. We don't do it to show off. We do it because we, we want to be certain kinds of people changed fundamentally at our core of who we are. And fasting invites the Holy Spirit in to our lives in a closer, more personal way in our day-to-day life. 
And I think sometimes the challenge of prayer and fasting or any spiritual discipline, silence and solitude or uh, chastity or uh, uh, sacrifice or secrecy or any of these things we're going to be talking about, I think the challenge a lot of times is that um, we enter into them in, with an earning mentality. So God, I'll do this and then you'll do this, right? So I'm going to earn it. I'm going to bite. I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm going to really kind of dig in here and I'm going to do this because, because this is me earning something. But none of this is about earning. It's all about receiving. That with God's help, through God's grace and our choices, we receive the grace of God, more of the presence and the power and the life of God. And we do this by counterculturally pushing away from the practices of the world and engaging in the practices of the faith. You will not wake up in six months more like Jesus because of Netflix. You're not going to wake up and be like, man, I'm just so much more patient and loving and self-controlled. And I would be willing to bet, and I've said this before, but it, any bad habit you have in your life, you do it now more than you did five years ago. Unless something shocked your world and caused you to give it up. If you started drinking coffee five years ago, you drink more coffee now. If you were vaping, you vape more. If you were, if you were watching you know, TV, you watch TV more. If you have screen time on your phone, it's up. Like bad habits grow. And so you don't wake up one day and you're like just a better person, uh, specifically spiritually. You're not more loving, peaceful, self-controlled. That requires us practicing the spiritual practices and doing what Jesus did so that we can act like Jesus acted. And so prayer and fasting um, is a way that we do that. Um, Pastor Katie and I sat down yesterday, actually, came up to the church yesterday and recorded two little podcasts about this topic that's up on the podcast feed. If you want to listen to that, there's more information that can help you on that. We'll send out a link to an article that I wrote a couple of years ago about it. We want to try to put resources in your hand. But my challenge for you is to start this year, everybody can pray, carving out 10 to 15 minutes different points throughout your day to put your phone away or to put technology away or sit in your car on lunch break or whatever. Everybody can go and you can talk to God and it's not about earning, it's about receiving. But specifically when it comes to fasting, I know for a lot of you, this will be your first time entering into this if you would choose to do so. Or for some of you, it'll be the first time in a long time. And I want to encourage you to do it. And I know that when we talk about it, um, and maybe you're a guest here. I'm always a little self-conscious of like the guests who show up. And it's like, yeah, we're not eating, you know? And it's like, you know, thanks, come back. Uh, but this is something Christians have been doing for thousands of years. And um, I don't want to paint this romantic idea that like you're going to skip lunch and feel unbelievable. It's hard. It's real. I mean, honestly, it's a real spiritual battlefield. I can promise you this, that if you decide to do this, you will have so many legitimate distractions and excuses present themselves. The other thing that happens is when we talk about the people say, I've tried, I'm not good at it. No one's good at it. No one's good at it. Or it's like, well, I've tried, but I just get really hungry. Yeah. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Matthew chapter four, Jesus fasted 40 days and he was very hungry. So if you're fasting and you're hungry, you're like Jesus. So, so all of these things that we say, it's like, well, that's just not who I am. That's not who any of us are. That's why we do them. And so I want to encourage you to like 
step into this any way that you can. Maybe it's a meal, maybe it's lunch every day, maybe it's sun up to sundown, or maybe it's a certain day of the week, or, you know, but, but sometimes, you know, some fasts, you know, people say it's technology or it's Diet Coke or whatever. And listen, I'm not, I don't want to sound self-righteous or critical and all of that, but historically fasting is abstaining from food. And so I'm not, like I try to pair my fasting with technology fast because I don't want to distract myself with technology while I'm not eating. So you can add whatever you want to it. But for, but for me, what I'm encouraging you to do is to pick meals and not eat and pray. Pick meals, don't eat and pray and figure out what works for you. And don't harm yourself. Uh, there's no brownie points. You don't get stuff from God for this. He promises to reward us for things we do in private, but the rewards are rarely the, what we think they're going to be. And there are typically things we don't even know we need. So it's not about, you know, any of that. But as you look at the next 21 days, I want you to identify, like, where could I be like Christians for thousands of years and skip meals? Some of those meals be consecutive. Some of them not be consecutive. And spend time praying. And if you're grouchy, you're doing it right. And if you're in a bad mood, you're doing it right. And if you're hungry, you're doing it right. But what's happening is your attachment to your dependencies are being exposed. Not only your sugar dependencies, but like if you've got anger issues on an empty stomach, here they come. Bitterness, here they come. All of the ways that you cope, here they come. Which is part of the power of fasting. There's a supernatural element to it that I can't even explain, but... It's not that every time you do it, the heavens open, but there is some cumulative effect when you look back. And I think back on my own life of times when I fasted and I got done with fast and I thought, well, that that was nothing. And then I look back and I go, oh, I can see the way that God used what he was doing in my life and preparing me for different things. I didn't even realize um, what was happening. And so um, if you are a believer, if you're not a believer, don't do this. It's a diet. Like if you're not a believer, fasting is dieting. If you're a believer, if your faith is in Jesus, this is something we do because we're saying, God, we want to experience more of the life and the presence and the power of God. And so we're going to practice what you practiced. Find times to get away to fast and pray. The other thing we do is on Thursday nights, we meet here. The next three Thursday nights, we meet here for a very informal worship and prayer. That's it. Somebody will share a little devotion. Our band will sing some songs. We'll pray together. That's all. That's what it is. No child care or anything like that. Uh, we understand everybody can't make it. But if you can make it, we'd love to have you. Seven o'clock. Is it seven o'clock? Seven o'clock. Um, we'd love to have you. Okay? But I just want to encourage you. Let's don't enter into the new year with determination and aspiration. Let, that's fine. Let's have that. But let's enter into it making different choices. Spiritually speaking, making different choices. And we want to start that with prayer and fasting. And I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. If I can help you in any way, I want to do that. Um, We'll try to resource you the best that we can. But one of the highlights of the year for me is every year a handful of people really dive into this for the first time ever for them. And it's always a highlight. And man, it's brutal. Mentally, it's brutal. And there's no rewards for that as far as high-fiving anybody about it. But there is this sense that I'm laying down a part of my life, God, on the altar because I want you to do something new in me. Do something new in me. Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Um, 
this was hopefully just a little tease for where we're going this year and an invitation to be a part of what we're doing, okay? I'm gonna pray for us. The band's gonna come. We'll have a time of prayer and communion and uh, worship together. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you that there is absolutely nothing I can do to earn your love and to earn your salvation. It's all grace. It's all a gift. Only earned, God. Or only received, God, I mean. So God, if I find myself striving to live this life to prove something to you or to someone else that I'm somehow worthy, God, I pray that you would wipe that out of of my heart and my mind. I can't do it. There's nothing I could do to be made worthy. Jesus did that. But God, there is something that I can do to become more like Jesus. And so God, I pray that you would help me to make the choices and to practice the the activities with your help, through your grace, with the right motives and a receiving posture, God, that you would help me to make the choices to become more like your son, Jesus, to change at a soul level and not just change my actions, but watch my desires begin to change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.